Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. I am super excited to be speaking with Dr. Sandy Gluckman today. Dr. Sandy is a learning behavior and mood specialist, author, educator, and international speaker who has consulted with and trained thousands of parents and teachers in different parts of the world. She presents a fundamental and highly effective shift in understanding how to treat and heal learning behavior and mood challenges, preferably without medication. Dr. Sandy's approach brings hope and healing to those that are looking for ways to help their wondrous children learn more easily, behave positively, feel good, and love life. Dr. Gluckman is not in favor of managing the symptoms children have. Instead, she removes the symptoms by finding and healing the underlying root causes. Her proven whole child treatment process is based on her unique blend of studies in functional medicine, interpersonal neurobiology, and psychology. This integrated approach treats all aspects of the child's health, spirit, body, and brain. The most unique aspect of her work is that she believes that a parent cannot give their child what they themselves don't have, and therefore, she treats and educates the parents at the same time as treating the children. Her signature healing programs called Parenting That Heals and Teaching That Heals the Brain have been presented in live workshops as well as online in many countries. These workshops, together with her books, are transforming the way teachers, parents, and healthcare practitioners treat the children whose lives they touch. Dr. Gluckman is the author of Parents Take Charge, Healing, Learning, Behavior, and Mood Challenges Without Medication, and Who's in the Driver's Seat, Using Spirit to Lead Successfully. She also authored a chapter in Mission Possible and has published extensively in parenting, education, and business journals. She is a frequent speaker at healthcare, parenting, education, business conferences. That is a mouthful of information, but so, so fascinating. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Sandy here on the show. So Dr. Sandy, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Erin. I am so excited to be here too. Yes. I, love, I love that you're giving me the opportunity to speak about my very favorite topics. Yes. No, I'm excited too, because as you know, my background is in teaching and I am a parent. And so I, I know I have listeners who are in the same situations. And I just think that this is going to reach a lot of people. So I would love to know, first off, how you even got started um, working with behavioral strategies that are not mainstream? You know, how did you get interested in all of this? Mm, well, it's been a very long journey. Uh, it started with me being born in South Africa, in Johannesburg, South Africa, spending the largest part of my life there. I've only been in uh, the United States of America for 20 years. Okay. Um, so I was this little girl who grew up during the apartheid era. Oh, wow. And I was and still am a very sensitive-natured little girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, it, uh, seeing that what was happening was really, really hard for me. Um, the whole uh, apartheid era touched me incredibly deeply. Um, I felt so badly for the way in which people were being treated and treating each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of um, set the stage for me to, to for, for, first of all, for me to become aware of um, the spirit of people because I saw millions of people's spirit hurting, the oppressed, yeah. you know. Yeah. And secondly, I think it set the stage for me to realize I wanted to help people to heal their spirit. Mm-hmm. And so that theme of hurting spirit and healing spirit has then followed me for the rest of my life up until this very moment and dominates a lot of what I do. And so, of course, I gravitated towards clinical psychology 
And um, what did I find? I find that I found that all those um, teenagers and parents and people who visited with me all had some kind of diagnosis, but actually the truth of the matter was the underlying root cause was that their spirit was hurting. Mm, yeah. And um, too many of the traditional doctors were, were treating the symptoms mm-hmm. um, or the diagnostic label, but not treating the hurting spirit. Yeah. And I began to realize that we cannot um, heal people while their spirit is hurting. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, um, with the past um, two decades have been just awful what's going on with children mm. of all ages who, who um, are being diagnosed from <laughs> the age of four years old and even younger mm-hmm. and with all kinds of learning behavior and mood challenges. And um, I, I don't like seeing what's happening. So um, I'm working on it from a very different way. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. So many um, good things there to expand on. I know, you know, you mentioned the last 20 years and my first episode of the podcast, I talk about how exactly 20 years ago I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I was 18 years old, oh, and, really? but four years before that, they diagnosed me with PTSD and depression and medicated me. But, you know, from what I know now, there were so many other things that could have been done first. Um, But I think I was kind of part of that first wave. Like nobody I knew back then was on medication. Nobody I knew even dealt with that kind of a thing. Um, And now it's like you were saying, it's very prevalent happening in kids four years old. I think I even heard recently it was happening in toddlers, like under two. Mm. And we have no studies showing what that does long-term, but that's a whole other topic. Um, (laughs) It sure is. That's interesting. Um, There were many ways that that could have been addressed without medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if you put the medication into the whole formula, it creates its own kind of additional problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just very, very interesting. And so um, I want to ask you a little bit about the phrase emotional resilience uh, or just the word resilience. We use that word so often. um, And we all, you know, you talked about our children and their spirits hurting, their spirits being broken. And I think that that is the case with so many. Um, I think even a diagnosis and a label can do a lot of damage to a child's spirit uh, as, it, as it did to mine. I just realized recently how that negatively impacted me. Um, so, but what do you believe resilience is? Because I know you have a very interesting spin on this. I would love to hear your thoughts on resilience. Yes. Um, res- emotional resilience is, um, I think, a deeply misunderstood concept. Um, for me, resilience, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to think this is very different, is um, all based on having healthy levels of certain neurotransmitters in the brain. So resilience equals healthy neurotransmitters. The problem is that um, parents and teachers um, kind of think that they can um, encourage p- uh, children to be resilient. Mm. You, you know, they often ask me, parents ask me, should I push my child to do sport or should I push my right. child to do something that he or she is afraid of doing? Should I just force them so that they can see that they, they're, it's okay that they manage to do it and then maybe they'll become more resilient. And I'm going, no, 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 do, <laughs> do, please don't do that at all um, because we cannot create emotional resilience from the outside in. Hmm. You can't talk your child into being emotionally resilient. Hmm. So it means we have to change the child from the inside out, which means that we need to, as parents, know and teachers know um, how to stimulate the, the, the chemicals, the neurotransmitters mm-hmm. that will result in emotional resilience. So some of those are, for example, um, um, endorphins mm-hmm. and oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine. Now that's a beautiful um, neurotransmitter cocktail that would result in a child having from the inside out um, emotional resilience. Mm. 
because serotonin will make the child, it's our, it's our happy chemical. The oxytocin is our bonding one, so we would be relating yeah. well with other kids. Mm -hmm. And the endorphins is, is the uh, stress release, um, having really positive feelings. And the, the dopamine is also the pleasure chemical. So if those chemicals are um, functioning at healthy levels, we are going to feel resilient. Right. Yeah. So it's a kind of different way of looking at it. So, Erin, it does mean really that parents need to understand um, neuroscience at yeah. some level. You know, it's, it's weird because in the years gone by, when, when you went for a parenting course or you read a mm -hmm. parenting book, um, it was operating from the basis of if you just learn how to do a tool, a parenting tool, right. <laughs> it mechanistically... Mm -hmm. um, it will work with the children. It will change their behavior. And yeah. that's not true because we really are wanting to change the neurochemistry. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who are hearing that, and, you know, I get excited hearing about neurotransmitters and it just causes me to ask all these kinds of questions. But for people hearing that maybe for the first time, um, is it possible that some kids have, naturally, and I don't know if I'm phrasing this the right way, they naturally have more neurotransmitters than others? Is there like, how, tell me more about the neurotransmitters. I'd okay. love to know. Okay, so, so you know, there are many neurotransmitters in the brain and they all have a role in um, 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 functioning so that we can feel good. Mm -hmm. If they are functioning at the healthy levels, we will feel good. We, we'll feel emotionally good. We'll feel confident. Um, if they are functioning at lower levels, then um, we start getting all kinds of emotional and behavioral and learning problems. Mm. So we obviously want to be sure that those neurochemicals are functioning at the right level and it is absolutely amazing how the way in which a parent communicates with a child and interacts with a child is actually changing the child's neurochemistry it is okay. not possible to be in a in, in the, your child's space without you affecting the child's neurochemistry hmm. and so that's why i say these days Parents need to know a little about how can I stimulate the right chemicals, mm -hmm. the right neurotransmitters in my child through the way I speak to the child, the way I look at the child, the words mm -hmm. that I choose, the, my body language, yeah. um, my beliefs and my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is, it's a fascinating topic, it's, but I think that today we've come to the point where parents really need to have a little understanding of what's going on in their children's brains. The truth of the matter is, Erin, um, the parents are shaping the children's brains all the time. Yeah. And that's such an interesting, just the fact that as a parent, I can shape my child's neurochemistry, neurochemicals. Like that's that's so fascinating to me. And I, I did think about, you know, reading up on what you've done and the, our conversation we've had previously. I thought about that actually this morning when I was with my five-year-old and he, we were playing a card game and he was really excited because he was winning. Well, then it switched and he was losing. And, you know, and I was just thinking about the words I was saying to him and what it was doing for even his confidence levels in playing the game, you know, because mm -hmm. if he thinks that, I don't know, it's, it's just interesting thinking about that from just a day-to-day -day perspective and what that means. Um, why do you think that some children are more resilient than others? And why do some children struggle more than others? Right. So that's a huge question. Let me see where I'll move in. Um, so some children are more sensitive. They have a sensitive nature or a sensitive temperament. I talk about a sensitive spirit. Mm -hmm. And so sensitive children are more easily stressed hmm. than children who are not so sensitive by nature. And so what happens is those children will go into, um, in, go into situations and 
will find those situations feeling uncomfortable for them or even unsafe for them just in terms of the way they feel about themselves and the stress level starts to to grow so those children who are less resilient than others are children who are stressed hmm. so what happens is Erin those children are actually um, collecting stress pretty much many times a day okay. and and on a physiological level what I'm talking about is that they are secreting high levels of cortisol ah yeah and the high levels of cortisol are what puts the neurotransmitters out of whack it, it yeah. puts the neurotransmitters out of balance so um, to answer your question those children who are less resilient I think that the parents often think that that's their nature mm. um, they often tell me well um, I'm also like that or my mother was mm. like that or mm -hmm. my grandfather was the same thing he was very sensitive and shy and uh, not resilient but it's not that at all it's just the case that the children who are stressed have got high levels of cortisol mm. it upsets their neurotransmitters mm -hmm. but there is a further thing that happens with high levels of stress and that is that um, the cortisol interferes with the body's ability to deal with inflammation uh -huh. and so these children have got inflamed bodies and inflamed brains mm -hmm. and um, again that's going to upset the neurotransmitters that, I mean, that topic, even just the whole cortisol, fight or flight, which is, you know, I guess what you're refer, referring to when we're under chronic stress, that is so fascinating to me because um, I'm a sensitive person. <laughs> I'm very sensitive to stress. And it, for me as an adult, especially the age that I am, it's shown up in um, weight gain, which is interesting. That's how cortisol, and I know that that's a side effect of it too. Um, and for many women, it's like, oh, we reach a certain age and it's like, oh, why am I ga gaining weight around my midsection? You know, oh, it's the, it's the cortisol. It's the visible manifestation. But for kids, we don't have the visible manifestation like that, you know, but it comes out in behaviors. And what are some behaviors that you would see in a sensitive child that would cause concern for parents? So um, to, to, just to um, jump onto something you said a minute yeah. ago, Erin, and that is um, for those who are listening to be aware that what happens is it starts with being sensitive. Sensitive children are more vulnerable to stress. They collect more cortisol, their brains are inflamed and for them, they are actually only capable of three kinds of behavior, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, yeah. So um, they're operating from a, um, the lower part of the brain uh, where we have the fight, flight, freeze function. And um, the prefrontal cortex, which, which exists behind the uh, forehead, which is the most amazing part of the human brain. It's the CEO, the executive of the brain. It's the conductor of the orchestra. Um, that's where all the wonderful things happen in the prefrontal cortex. But when we're stressed and we are behaving either in fight, flight, or freeze, mm -hmm. the blood will rush out of the prefrontal cortex down to the bottom of the brain, the hind brain, the primitive brain, to service the fight, flight, freeze behaviors. And now these children don't have the ability to use the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. because it's offline. And so that is that decision-making and yes. learning? Yes. So that's impulse memory. control, self-regulation, mm -hmm. okay. decision-making, um, um, even empathy, mm -hmm. um, control of emotions, mm. control of movement. Wow. Oh my goodness, you know, learning from experience, understanding consequences. So many things happen in that prefrontal cortex. And so what's really happening is they are being driven by, their behaviors are being driven by these uh, hormones of stress, mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. the chemistry of stress. 
they actually don't have a choice. It's not like they're choosing to be in fight, flight, or freeze. Right. The child who's in fight, who's defiant and oppositional and mm. um, angry and has temper tantrums, um, that child is stressed. So mm. when, when you see a child who's doing that, it's like the child is sending this incredible message to mom and dad and the teacher saying, I've got this huge stress Mm-hmm. flowing through me inside yeah. of me and my brain is inflamed and I actually can't choose to behave in another kind of way yeah the child who's in flight will withdraw um, mm-hmm. and um, maybe even become sad depressed because flight has got a continuum and um, unmotivated and of course everyone's trying to treat the symptom but mm-hmm. it's not where we need to be looking. We need to be looking at the fact that that withdrawn child is living on stress hormones. And the stress hormones are causing that kind of behavior. So um, I think that it's very worrisome to me that we are labeling these children. The mm-hmm. fat children have got labels like uh, oppositional defiance disorder mm-hmm. and all other kinds of ADHD, of course, is also just the result of um, the stress hormones mm-hmm. that have reached the brain. The inflammation has reached the brain and is now upsetting the neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to focus and pay attention. So they get labeled with ADHD. But who's looking at the real underlying root cause? Right. Which is this child is living on stress hormones. Gosh. And that means they're in survival and they're not mm-hmm. thriving. And then, mm-hmm. if I may say, the, the last point is, and I'm saying this with enormous love because I'm a parent and a grandparent mm-hmm. and I know that everything we do with our kiddos is out of the most incredible love. <laughs> but when, when we have a child who's in fight or flight or freeze, it's, it's sort of a trap for us as parents because mm-hmm. what do we try to do? We try to tell them that it's not okay to be doing that, that those behaviors are Mm -hmm. really not okay and that they should choose a better behavior. Mm -hmm. The problem is they are physiologically and neurologically incapable of actually Mm -hmm. choosing another behavior. Yeah. Because they're being driven by the stress hormones. Gosh, that's such a fascinating point right there, that when you are in fight or flight, when you're functioning in that way you can't change your behavior and so much emphasis is put on you know behavioral training and this plan and that plan and reward systems and all these things which are are good you know are have good reasoning behind them but if you are not addressing that and i think the other thing for parents like just everyday parents like me to remember um and people who are listening is that sometimes and I'm just speaking because I'm a victim of this myself. As parents, we think that our kids have to match our fast-paced lifestyle, you know? Um, And we just go, go. I'm a go, go, go person. Um, But just that in itself, like, oh, now we've got, like you were saying, now we've got this activity. Now we have to do this. Well, now we're going to go do this. Like, I saw it in my my oldest. Um, She was up until seventh grade. She was in public school and she did very well, but she got into these advanced classes and I saw that fight or flight take over. She would come home from school, horrible mood, major anxiety. And I was like, okay, fortunately, you know, we were able to take, you know, took her home, ended up doing some homeschool, got her involved with a homeschool co-op, just doing something a little bit different that worked really well for her to help her find a balance. Um, but I could see that I saw it in my students. I, you know, even in my little one who is with me most of the day, um, he can get so stressed so easily. And it's like a light switch and it's not like he's seen any major trauma. It's not like he's, but he's sensitive to too much TV time, which I know maybe if we have time, we can get into (laughs) screen time because I know that's um, another good topic for you, but just all of these things, right? They add up over time. And we don't realize that our fast paced life t- lifestyles could be hindering um, our children's ability to function. I don't know. That's just my thought with what, with what you are saying. Yes. Um, um, and it's a very important thought, Erin, because that fast paced lifestyle um, places a lot of pressure on our children. Mm-hmm. And just 
crazy, crazy pressure. And so it also puts pressure on the parents. And here's the um, unfortunate but um, proven fact, and that is that stressed parents raise stressed children. That is such a good... Say that again one more time. <laughs> stressed parents. <laughs> stressed parents children. raise stressed children. Okay. That's good. So, you know, when you, if, if one were to ask the question of why are millions of children living on stress hormones hmm. and being forced into fight, flight, or freeze behaviors, why? Millions of children. Well, of course, there are lots of reasons for stress, external reasons, mm-hmm. um, some really horrible ones and traumas and mm-hmm. even the affluent children where there's no yeah. trauma expressed uh, uh, stress, feel stress. Mm-hmm. So, but the why really goes all the way back because remember, I'm all about underlying root causes. Yes. I mm-hmm. keep going back and back and back. So, what is the deepest root cause there? If we can find it and fix it, all these symptoms go away. And so, why have these millions of children got these stress related conditions? Because they are absorbing the stress of the parents. Mm. So that's why I say stressed parents create stressed children. Um, it, 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 is, it is a um, scientific uh, concept known as interpersonal neurobiology, developed by Dr. Daniel Siegel, brilliant, mm. wonderful man. And so an interpersonal neurobiology says that your stress well, it says a lot of things, but one of the mm-hmm. things is that your stress is contagious. Hmm. Whatever level of stress you are experiencing inside of you and whatever kind of um, out of balance it has created in your body and in your brain will be reflected in your children hmm. because they mirror our behaviors. They mirror our feelings and um, stressed parents really do create stressed children so it's one of the biggest underlying it is a scary thought Mm. but you know if you think about it for yourself even if you're with a friend let's assume you're meeting a friend for lunch and you sit down and you're feeling all good and happy and and you take a look at her face and her body language and those dead eyes and you can Mm -hmm. sense the stress and then of course she starts speaking in a stressful way and, um, and sharing feelings of stress, um, it's going to change your mm-hmm. oh, for sure. chemistry. Yeah. It would not be possible for you to sit there and still feel as happy as when you arrived. You, mm-hmm. You're going to be affected by what's happening between the two of you. And it's even much more so between parent and child and teacher and student. So the yeah. students, uh, sorry, the teachers, not only are the parents stressed, but teachers are incredibly so stressed. <laughs> and they walk into the classroom on stress hormones, pumping through, flowing mm-hmm. through their system. Mm-hmm. And the minute they walk in, they readjust all the children's chemistry to, meet, to match theirs. And then they want to know why the mm. children are acting out or acting in. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. And I just think back to my teaching years and various things students would say, because I I taught English as a second language and all those kids, you know, newly immigrated here to the U.S. I mean, they were all under some some form of, you know, fight or flight freeze. Um, But I remember various students would come into my room and they'd say, I just love coming to your room. I just, I just feel like it, it's just a good, they would have interesting ways to say either like I can breathe better here or I can. Uh. And for me, I always thought, I don't know what it is. I don't know because I am a stressed out person, <laughs> but um, I also, I tried to be as welcoming. I'm a very welcoming person right. and I would put relationship over, you know, Oh, we have to, you know, work really hard to, it was always about the relationship first. And kids notice that they pick up on that, you know? And I think when we teachers not being there anymore, but I I still kind of identify myself as that when we are so stressed about the things we have to do to meet the standard, whether it's state testing or whatever it is, that's going to come out on the kids too. And I, and I've seen it, I've seen it in classes where it's, it's gone very opposite of how my classes went. And I think that is such an interesting point. And I, 
think that for parents, so what you're saying is, is um, the best way parents can manage their child's stress is to manage their own. So basically you're saying that it all starts with us and how we take care of ourselves. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Very much so because when we are in fight or flight or freeze, you know, if we are frustrated and irritated and annoyed and, um, and angry about something, or we are withdrawn and quiet, um, we, without intending it, of course, we will cause our children to go into fight, flight, or freeze. So as you said earlier, this is like a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that we have to have a high level of awareness and consciousness, mm-hmm. first of all, and then have the ability, once we're aware that, uh-oh, I've just gone into fight mode or yeah. flight mode, once we're aware, we need the skill to get out of that and go to what I call the higher self. Hmm. Tell because, me about that. Yes. So I work with parents and a lot, a lot of my work is teaching them about the lower self and the higher self. Mm-hmm. The lower self is that part of us that is living on stress hormones in fight, flight, freeze. So all those emotions, those negative emotions and the frustrations and the guilt and the judgment and all of that is part of the lower self. The higher self is where we let go of the stress. We go away from fight, flight or freeze to flow where we've got this incredible appreciation of life and, and we are filled with this immense sense of gratitude uh, we feel blessed, we are calm, we are serene, uh, we are creative, we are inspired, we, we can see uh, mm-hmm. wonderful opportunities instead of mm-hmm. when we're in the lower self, we have a very narrow focus. So mm-hmm. we're always telling the children about what's not working mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to talking much more often about what is working. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's so much to say. (laughs) There's so much. I know, like, I have so many questions upon questions, and I still have other questions (laughs) to get. So, (laughs) I've I've gone in all kinds of directions. I'm sorry. No, no, it's very big rat brain. (laughs) No, it's no, me too. And I and I think I just I get excited because I've, I've seen everything that you're talking about makes sense just because I've seen it in the classroom. I've seen yeah. it as a parent, <laughs> you know, um, and I, this gives a lot of hope too, because I think, um, so often we, you know, the first thought is, Oh, well, I'm screwing my kids up. You know, that that's the first where we go in our heads, but on the flip side, no, there's so much we can do to change things. So how can parents or can they teach their children to be more resilient? I mean, other than, like you said, going to their higher self, um, what are some yeah. other things? So, so, I need to go a little back so that I can answer that question. Okay. So we were saying then that if parents are stressed, they tend to focus a lot on what's not working rather than what is working. Yeah. And of course it's done with all the best intentions in the world because we want to be able to shape and, and teach our children right. so that they can use their greatest potential. The problem is we are uh, sending them many more messages of this is not okay. Mm-hmm. You're not getting it right. You need to do this differently. And really, in neuroscience terms, the research has shown that if we want children to start to have a positive belief about themselves, which is part of the emotional resilience, then we need to tell them five positive things to one negative. Mm. And it, it, it seems like that. Uh, it's pretty much the opposite these days. And again, I say that as parents, we do it unintentionally Mm -hmm. because we wish the best for our children, but the children are getting a message that they are interpreting as, I'm not enough. Mm. I'm just not good enough. Mm -hmm. I I am not smart enough. I am not thin enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not popular enough. Mm -hmm. I'm just not enough. Mm You know, it could be any of those kinds of not enoughnesses. But basically, the children who have high stress levels um, have got a very strong inner belief of I am not enough. Hmm. And you can imagine, well, I don't have to imagine because I was one of those. Um, It is very painful walking around feeling that you're not enough. Hmm. 
And so that pain converts to stress and we go through the whole thing again where uh, the child is living on stress hormones and then is back in fight, flight and freeze. So to answer your question, what can parents do to create emotional resilience is that they can learn how to wire a belief in their children that sounds like, I am so enough, mm -hmm. as opposed to I am not enough. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when the child truly believes from the inside of his being or her being that they, they really are enough, it comes together with healthy neurotransmitter levels again, hmm. which equals emotional resilience. And the prefrontal yeah. cortex comes back online and now they can make good decisions and, and, and really uh, use all their talents to achieve their inner greatness. Yeah, so a question about that that um, is not on our question list, but it, this makes me wonder, do you believe that, you know, just the modern, you know, 2019 culture, way of living with social media, with, um, you know, everything, Amazon Prime, we can get everything instantly fast, and um, even food. I mean, do you think that all of those things factor in to these issues we're seeing with kids? Um, I guess yes and no. I think it just factors in, in terms of um, the immense rush of life. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, and, I, and, and it also goes back to something you said earlier, and that is parents, again, with the best intentions fill their child's week with all kinds yeah. of activities, mm -hmm. out-of-school activities or in-school activities. Um, these children need to just stop rushing. Yeah. They need time to sit back and de-stress and reflect and mm -hmm. talk about wonderful things that they don't get the chance to talk about. Mm -hmm. Instead of talking about their homework and what happened at school and right. why they got into trouble and right. why they pushed their brother. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. we need to give children more time to de-stress. Hmm. And so more, you know, timeouts, free play, things like that. Are those all yes. being outside, yes. those kinds of things? Absolutely. We really do need that. Um, so from that point of view, I think that, uh, what's going on with society and of course with um, Facebook and social media if you are a sensitive child and you're believing you're not enough social media can be so destructive mm -hmm. because you're looking at the lives of everybody else and you're interpreting it as well I don't have that and I'm not as popular yeah. and I don't have many likes and look what that child's doing and I don't get to do that. And it's um, causing a lot of stress. In fact, there is even a condition known as Facebook depression. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting, especially when you think about the neurotransmitters and the things that are, well, that again, that would be a topic for another, <laughs> another yeah. day, just kind of the yeah. addictive properties of, of the internet too, but we'll leave that for, for a different discussion. Um, cause I still have a couple more questions. Um, so what are three things that you would advise parents not to do or be aware of? What are, okay. So, um, certainly not to do. Um, one of the things is to be very aware of your stress level so that you can choose to respond differently to your child and not pass the stress on. Hmm. The second thing is what they should not do is, and we mentioned this a moment ago, is focus more in your conversations on what the child needs to be different, what they should be doing, what they're hmm. not doing, what they ought to be doing, um, uh, how they should be behaving, etc. Less conversations about that uh, and more conversations about the child's being rather than the child's doing. Hmm. I think that parents focus a lot on their being. Uh, sorry, on their doing. They focus so much on their doing. Um, 
very little time spent on who are you? What are you mm. dreaming about? Um, what do you love doing? Um, what are you thinking about today? Or what do you think about what happened um, on the TV the other day, an event maybe that you could discuss with them? They, they really need us to know them mm. at the core of their being. Mm -hmm. I write a lot and I, I have videos on children often feel like we don't see them mm -hmm. for who they are. Yeah. We see them for who we want them to be, mm -hmm. um, but we don't see them for who they truly are. And when children feel that they're not being seen in that way, they, of course, then feel stressed mm -hmm. and it affects their resilience. Hmm. So, so that was two, I think, right? And the third thing not to do is um, too much lecturing. Oh, my goodness, me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Parents love to lecture. Lots mm -hmm. of talk, 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 lecture, 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 logic and examples and, mm -hmm. and um, statements and proof. And it goes on and on. And what actually happens is when we begin to lecture and pontificate to our children, we are actually raising the stress chemistry inside of them. Mm -hmm. So we are shooting ourselves in the foot mm -hmm. um, because their cortisol levels are rising, the inflammation in the brain is getting worse, and they're coming to the conclusion that they're not enough. Hmm. Wow. So please, please, moms and dads, not a lot of lecturing at all. Yeah. No, that that's so good. And you know, it's hard having a, because I have a 15 year old, five year old and a three year old, and those are very different ages and stages. And the oldest one, because she's the firstborn, you know, we put a lot of pressure on her too. She has her things that she does around the house. She will watch the boys occasionally, we'll pay her, you know, those kinds of things. But it's such a good reminder that her age is a very sensitive age for learning who she is, like what mm. you're talking about. And, and I think, and I, I don't want to quench her spirit, you know, like I don't want to crush that, that she, she has big, she's very into music. She has very big dreams. She has, and I saw something the other day, oh, you know, some Facebook graphic about if you don't listen to your kids talk to you about the little things, they're not going to talk to you about the big things. Yeah. And yes. I thought that was so good because I thought she's at the age where I want to know the big things, you know, and I, and I want to know those all those thoughts about, you know, and not crush her dreams and things. And so I think that's such a good reminder, but that starts also at the little stages too, that, that mm. kind of works up to that. Mm. Um, so what are things that we can do? What are that, what are some action items that we can do? Anybody listening can take from today, some things that they can do with their family to make changes. Well, um, there are so many. Let me think what I would say are the most important. It kind of blends in with the, the what not to do yeah, in, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> because um, as I said there, <clears throat> one of the things to do is to spend a lot of time talking about their being, mm -hmm. who they are, what they mm -hmm. inspires them, what they, their natural talents are. Um, give them a lot of resources to develop their natural talents. Um, and also I would like to say that we as parents need, once we know our children, who they really are and what their unique talents are, we need to advocate for them because there are many situations um, in school where perhaps the teacher doesn't understand who the child is. Um, perhaps the child needs to be taught in a certain way because they're left brain dominant and right brain dominant children need to be taught in different ways. So um, we need to advocate for them. But before we can advocate for them, for the child, the real child, the real being behind the symptoms, that's the one we need to advocate for. And so that's the child we need to know so well. Yeah, yeah. And that's the child we need to talk to and communicate with mm. instead of communicating so often with a child who has the symptoms. Mm. Yeah. That's because a... behind every single child who has 
a diagnosis or no diagnosis but has got symptoms that are challenging for them. Behind the problems, there is this truly problem-free, extraordinary, uniquely talented child yeah. who is stuck inside because of the stress hormones. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that's, it's a sad, it's such a sad picture, you know, um, that, they, that yeah. they're stuck, that they're completely stuck. And like you said, that there are things that we want them to do and they are physically, physiologically incapable of doing. Um, exactly right. And we often want them to do things for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, and we're totally misunderstanding why they cannot. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I wrote a, I think my latest blog was called, Is Your Child a Canary in the Coal Mines? Hmm. And it's really based on the fact that our children come to teach us. We will get the child we need who has come to show us that there is something off about us that mm. we need to look at so that we can grow. Mm-hmm. So these children come into the world, if you've got a child who's got a challenge, you say, thank you, thank you, because this child has come to teach me to look at me so that I can grow. Mm. And That's they the hold truth. the mirror up to us. Yes, they and do. <laughs> yes, they do. And yeah. if we're prepared to look in the mirror instead of trying to fix mm. them, mm-hmm. we need to fix ourselves first. That's so good. And it goes back to we are the ones who are changing or affecting the interpersonal, what is interpersonal, interpersonal neurobiology, neurobiology, right? That's we so are. fascinating. Um, oh. And that's, and that is encouraging. And I can, by managing my stress levels by like some of the things I do, I love yoga. I love breath work, meditation. Like those are ways that I help get myself out of fight or flight, you know, and I think yes. doing so I will be more available to help them with what they need. Of course, it's fun. I, I've taught my five-year-old to breathe <laughs> so, right. some breath work himself and it's been really good. Um, yes. And those things yeah. take you out of your lower self mm-hmm. into your higher self. Mm-hmm. And our children's level of consciousness can only be the same as our level of consciousness. So mm-hmm. we want our children to be in their higher selves where they can yeah. be the uniquely talented child that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can only happen when we are in our higher selves. So doing those things like you mentioned, the yoga and um, meditation and whatever it is that appeals to you, mm-hmm. that de-stresses you, has got the most unbelievable mm-hmm. possibilities for changing your child's life. I don't think that people really make that mm-hmm. connection too often. And that is that when you are able to um, develop the ability to de-stress yourself, which I say takes you into your higher self, mm-hmm. you are giving your children the greatest gift you could ever give them because interpersonal neurobiology says that they will match where you are. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want for them. So that's why I always tell my moms and dads and teachers, you cannot give your child what you yourself do not have. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. (laughs) It starts with us. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. One last question. And then, you know, I want to know where people can find you, reach out to you. But um, my signature question is if you could spark one person towards wholeness, or if you could give advice (laughs) to spark one person towards towards wholeness, what would that be out of all of, you know, your knowledge? So that would be for the, for the person, for us, um, to truly feel whole, we need to become aware of how so enough I am. Hmm. Because I I know that these children who have got learning behavior and mood challenges believe they're not enough. Hmm. And I thank God for uh, neuroplasticity where we can rewire that belief. Mm -hmm. The thing is though, Erin, that a lot of moms and dads and teachers don't believe that they're enough. Yeah. So I would say if you want to spark yourself into wholeness, mm-hmm. <laughs> connect with the fact that you are truly so enough. I love that. Yeah, thank you. So where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you? 
reach out to you? Okay, so my website is um, Dr. Dr. Sandy Glackman dot com. There's a lot of resources on my website. So just watch at the top, you'll see resources or drop down menu. There's, there's videos and there's programs. There's some blogs, articles. Um, and then there's my book, which is called um, Parents Take Charge. And that's also available from Amazon, but one can purchase it off the, the homepage okay. of the website. Um, I have um, programs, uh, online programs, that parents who can't visit with me one-on-one um, -on -one mm -hmm. can actually purchase some programs um, with videos. Okay. Teach them the tools that I would be teaching them if they were in my consulting room. Okay. Because the truth is, Erin, honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether the person who's listening to me has a child who has got uh, some kind of challenge, which is different to the next person's child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter what the problems are that your child has, the underlying root cause of that is stress mm -hmm. hormones yeah. that, that are too high. Mm -hmm. And the underlying root cause of the stress hormones is that the child feels that they're not enough. Yeah. So that's why if you were to purchase my toolbox, I've got something called the Healing Parent Toolbox, the tools are applicable to no matter what problem your child has mm. because it addresses the issue of how do we rewire that belief of I'm not enough to I'm so enough and how do we calm the child's nervous system and de-stress and deflame the child. So it's really the same for no matter what problems the children are dealing with. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And I will be sure I will link your website when I put this on my website. I'll link your website and those resources as well to make sure that everybody knows where to go, and where to find you because you have so much information and knowledge. I think that this message needs to be just spread all over. So thank you so much thank for you. speaking with me about this. I really, really appreciate you being on. Thank, thank you, you for that. so much. I love the opportunity to just share. It was great. Thank you. I hope it will be valuable for everyone. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.